today we're starting a new series that we've just called Essential. Essential is a word that we have heard a lot more in the last six months than we probably ever thought we'd hear in our whole life. And because we've been trying to decide what's really essential. You know, what, what really matters? What really, what really is going to make the difference in my life and in your life? And as things were stripped away and the comforts and conveniences and security of the way things were were all kind of tossed up in the air, then the question becomes, well, what, what do I really do now? What really matters most? Nations have asked that question. Entire countries have asked that question. Governments ask that question. States ask that question. Schools ask that question. Churches ask that question. And we as individuals have had to ask the question, you know, what's essential? And so we went through this whole process of, well, the medical community's uh, essential. Police are essential. You know, um, um, uh, we got to keep everything, uh, the internet's got to stay open. Thank God for the internet. How many of you, when you were sheltered at home, for everybody who's ever complained about the internet, come on somebody and just have some humility and say, thank God for the internet, right? It kept us connected and communicating and going. And so um, we had to figure out, are the tech people, what about electricity? What about, you know, what are all the things in life? And I find it ironic, at least for a while, Congress wasn't essential because they didn't even meet. So I don't even know what to do with that. I'll let you figure that out. But, but we had to figure out what is essential, what matters most? And, and to me, it feels like the whole world, we live in a snow globe. You know at Christmas when you put those little snow globes out and there's a little winter wonderland in there and you pick it up and shake it and all the little flakes go everywhere? It feels like to me the whole planet Earth is inside a giant snow globe and somebody has picked it up and just shook it. And all the little flakes of our life are just floating everywhere in the air. And what I want to say to you in this series is, before the last flake hits the ground and we decide, now that everything's up in the air and I only have this much space and this much stuff, what is essential? What should I build back into my life now that everything's kind of up in the air and up for grabs? Sometimes I think that we, we take the, the riches of God for granted. And I think sometimes we count the glorious riches of Jesus Christ as non-essential because we take our cues from our culture and from the world on what is essential and what really matters most. And so in this series... We're going to give you five things. I'm going to give you one today that I want to just proclaim to you, that I just want to teach, I just want to state that I believe the Bible says is essential, is essential for life. And here's where we're going to start. We're going to start at the grace of God. The grace of God 
is essential in your life. Now, let me just, there's a lot of definitions, so I'm just going to share with you how I think about the grace of God, what I think the Bible says, how I understand what the Bible says the grace of God is. The grace of God is access to God's presence. In other words, the whole reason that you and I even have access to the Father is because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and resurrect on the third day. And if it weren't for that act, you and I wouldn't have access to the Father. And the ground at the cross is level. So it doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or you're Hispanic or you're poor or you're rich or there are no kings, there are no presidents, there are no VIPs, there are no orphans, there are no second class people. The ground at the cross is absolutely level and we all come the same way through Jesus Christ. That's called grace. Grace is access to God. The fact that we have access is grace. Grace is also undeserved forgiveness. In other words, you and I could never do enough good things in order to earn the right to be forgiven. Somebody who was perfect had to give us that right. That's grace. That's God's grace. Third, God's grace is freedom from guilt and shame and condemnation. In other words, the systems of this world put you on a hamster wheel where you can never do enough, go fast enough, do, uh, uh, perform enough, accomplish enough that you'll ever be accepted or acceptable or in favor. And what grace says is you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into God's favor you can only receive the free gift that Jesus gave. That's grace. Freedom is grace. Grace is also supernatural empowerment. Supernatural empowerment to live a godly life. The whole reason that you and I even have the ability to live a godly life is because of grace. And then watch this. And then grace is the power to share grace with other people. The whole reason you and I have the ability to shine like a light and be salt on the earth and to share grace with other people is an act of grace itself. So the New Testament begins with grace. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. What is the good news about the Messiah? We've already said it. It's that God sent his son Christ to die on the earth, resurrect on the third day, wash away all of our sin, and deal with all of our brokenness, and to give us resurrection life and power. That's how the New Testament begins. Look how the New Testament ends. Revelation 22, 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. If you could summarize the entire New Testament in one word, I bet you're going to be able to guess what that word is. Grace. If you could explain, if you had to explain the entire New Testament to a person in one word, you wouldn't have to look for a different word. Grace is the word. Grace is the most fundamental teaching in the New Testament. It's the most basic and fundamental and overarching theme of the entire New Testament. Grace is what sent Jesus to the cross, and grace is why you and I have a future and a destiny. 
And grace is God's voice speaking over us today saying, I love you, I accept you, I've chosen you, I've called you, I've redeemed you, I forgive you, I accept you, you have a future and a destiny. That's grace. If you hear that, you're hearing grace. Grace is the most essential thing while all the flakes are flying in the air. I just want to plead with you today to make sure that you grab grace and you put it in your life. Because it's not a luxury, it's not icing, it's not the cherry on top, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. So, how do we treat grace as an essential? If you want to take notes... And you only have to take notes if you want to go to heaven. Outside of that, you'll be fine. (laughs) Let me give you four ways today that you and I can treat grace as an essential. We can grab that floating flake as it goes by, and we can establish it in our life and say, no, no, this is something that I need. Number one, choose grace over sin. Romans 5.20 says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So what does that mean? Does that mean since every time sin increases that grace increases more, that we keep on sinning? Is Is that what that means? I mean, what this verse is saying is sin will never outperform grace. There's always going to be more grace than there is sin. I don't know how many of you that's good news to, but it's very good news to me. There's always going to be more grace than there is sin. So what do we do with it? Do we just continue to live in sin? When you do that, you treat grace as a non-essential. In uh, the next verse, you can see in Romans 6, 1, we find the answer. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What does Romans say? By no means. Because when you and I as believers choose sin, willfully choose sin, continue to choose sin, what we actually do is treat grace like it's non-essential. Like we don't really need it. Like it really doesn't matter. We, we abuse grace and misunderstand grace and misuse grace. And maybe some of you this morning are here or maybe you're watching online and you're battling and you're going through a lot. I think, I think a lot of people are going through a lot, if not everybody, and you feel weak, or you feel you're living on the edge of temptation, and you're trying to battle it, and you don't know yet if you're going to win the battle or not, because it just keeps knocking at your door and whispering to you, and, and you're in the fight, and you're struggling Can I encourage you? Choose grace. Every time you come to a fork in the road and one way goes this way and the other one goes toward grace, reach out and say, God, today, you don't have to win the battle for the rest of your life. You don't have to win the battle for this week. You only have to win the battle for today. And the way you win it is you choose grace and say, God, by your grace, (laughs) I won't. I won't give in. By your grace, I won't give up. I receive your grace today. 
Maybe you've already done something that's just absolutely broken God's heart. What do you do? You choose grace. Because you don't have grace because you did it all perfectly. You have grace because Jesus did it perfectly and died. And so what do you do? If you've already blown it, you choose grace. And I think we're in an environment where a lot of people need a lot more grace than normal. And so good thing that grace is essential. If you've blown it, determination's not going to help you. It might actually make it worse. Because you'll be trying to draw off the strength of your own willpower to overcome something you can't overcome without Jesus' death and resurrection. So choose grace. Number two, how do we treat grace as essential? Give God glory for his goodness in your life. Give God glory for his goodness in your life. When we take credit for the good things in our life, what we actually do is we treat grace like it's a non-essential. We just let it float out there in the air. Now, you might be saying, listen, kids' church is in the other room. You, we don't have to talk like this here. We all know how it works. We're the, that's a good theology for a child, but we're adults. We know how the world works. We know what makes things work. Listen, I'm the one that started this company that I ran. I'm the one that sacrificed. I took the risk. I took out the loan. I went to night school. I got the degree. I got the education. I, I did the sacrificing. I made the choices that put my family in the position that they're in. Wait a minute. Who gave you the good health to do that? Who gave you the wisdom to do that? Who gave you the intellect to do that? Who gave you the opportunity to do it? Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the breath? Who gave you the life? Who gave you the space? Who gave you the, the gift? James 1.17, look at what it says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven and life. So let me translate that. If it's good and it's in your life, you don't have to ask where it came from. It didn't come from Satan. <laughs> it came from God. God, when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation, he looked at his creation and he said, it is Good. God makes good things. And if it's good and it's in your life and it's in my life, we don't have to ask where it came from. It came from God. And so when we take credit for the good things in our life, we treat grace like it's a non-essential. I don't need grace. I'll do it myself. Jesus told a parable about two men. One was a religious leader. One was a tax collector. And the tax collector, I'm sorry, the religious leader, they both went to prayer. And the religious leader starts his prayer like this. He says, God, I thank you. Now watch, watch these, watch these words. These words are very important. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Oh, how good for you. You always get in trouble when it's us and them. Other people tells you a lot. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a, I'm not a liar. And then you know what happens? The other guy, the tax collector, was praying in the same space. And he even highlights him in prayer. God, just in case you miss this guy, I want you to know that I'm not like, I thank you that I'm not like him either. 
Isn't he bad? He's one of the other people. And then he actually highlights the reason that he is so grateful for himself. He said, I, I fast twice a week. I mean, look how skinny I am. I'm incredible. Such good shape. And I give 10% of all that I have to you. I tithe. And then the camera switches to this other guy, this tax collector. And he's over there pounding on his chest. He's begging God. And he's saying, God, forgive me, sinner. And here's what Jesus said about the two guys. Luke 18, 14, he says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other man, the religious leader, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The religious guy took credit for the good things in his life. And he treated grace as though it was optional. And the tax collector said, no, no, grace is absolutely essential. I couldn't stand, I couldn't be here, I couldn't even come into the presence of God if it weren't for grace. You want to trample on grace and treat it like it doesn't matter? Just go ahead and take credit for every good thing in your life. And that's how you treat grace as a non-essential. Number three... Bring your need to God in prayer. I don't know uh, if it's uniquely American or if it's just human. But we have this tendency to just say, I I'll work it out. You, you, ever, you ever hear somebody say, um, man, I guess the only thing left to do is pray about it. And, 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 and I've said that and I've done that. And I always want to stop myself and say, why is that last? Why didn't I start there? Because we have this belief somehow that there's a certain amount of things or most things or all things we should be able to just work out on our own and we don't even... But here's the deal. When you neglect prayer, you neglect God's grace. All right, so let me, let me put it in this statement for you. God is working on what you're praying about. What you're not praying about, you're working on by yourself. Now, I'm not ready to, you know, add on to Scripture with that statement. There's some holes in it, but there's some truth in it. What you're not praying about, you're working on by yourself. So I've got a question for you. What need in your life, what pain, what confusing thing... Have you left uncovered in prayer? What circumstance, what stroke of anger, what wound, what question have you left uncovered in prayer? Because you're kind of working on it by yourself and you're neglecting God's grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach... God's throne, I love this verse, of grace. <laughs> I'm glad it's not a throne of judgment. I'm glad it's not a throne of sit up straight 
follow the rules and you didn't get an A and you didn't run fast enough. So glad it's not that. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You don't have to come apologetically. You don't have to come wondering if you're going to be accepted. So that we may receive mercy and find grace. God's prayer room is a place of grace. And you know what you find in it? Grace. Which is what? What is grace? It's the supernatural power of God to live a godly life. It's access. It's all those things. Sometimes critics of Christianity will say, why do, you, why do you Christians say that there's only one way to God? There's many ways to God. There's many religions and many beliefs and many holy books. and many. Why do you say there's only one way to God? I've got a better question. Why is there a way at all? Why is there even one way? Why is there a way to God? Why should there be a way to God? Why should there be a way to God, this supreme, holy, perfect being, for people like us? Why should there be any path? Well, there's only one reason. There's only one reason. There's only one answer. Grace. Because this supreme being that we know is God through his son Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has opened up a way. Or how else would there be a way? That's how there's a way. Grace. When you bring the issues of your life to God in prayer... You make a statement about grace to your own soul. You state that grace is essential. You state that you need it. Number four, last one, is a big one. Give grace to others. Mm. I don't remember a time in my lifetime when we needed to give grace more. And probably give it less. We live in frustrated. We've become a graceless society. Graceless society. The way we treat each other. The way we talk to each other. The way we talk about each other. The way we devalue other people. So what does gracelessness mean? Here's what gracelessness means. It's the belief that other people are less valuable than you are because of their race, because of their wealth, because of their physical limitations, because of their background, because of their education, because of their belief system, Whatever, remember, remember what the um, Pharisee said? I thank you that I'm not like other people. Other people. Those other people. You know those other people. We just whisper about them when we're gathered together. We don't say it in public. We just whisper about them. Those other people. We somehow get sucked into this belief that it's okay to treat people poorly. You know, because they're liberal. Those liberals are ruining the country. Or those, or those right-wing fundamental conservatives, they're crazy. They've lost their mind. They're going to go shoot somebody. You know, it's okay to treat them differently because they're, because they're ruining the country. 
Or or look on TV, it's those blacks, or it's those whites, or it's those Hispanics, or it's those illegal people, or those poor people, or those rich people, or those gay people, or those uneducated people, or those unpopular people. I want to declare to you from the authority of God's word, there's not one person on earth more valuable to Jesus than any other person. Jesus died for everybody. Let me tell you how valuable every person on earth is. Every person on earth is worth the death of God's son. And when we treat people with gracelessness and we treat people differently than Jesus treats them, we we take God's grace as a non-essential. It's unessential. It's unimportant. It's different. This is a different election year. Our country's at stake. You know, this is a different time. We've never been here before. This is a pandemic. Jesus died for the whole world, and the whole world is equally valuable to God. So we have to treat when we treat people as less than Jesus did, grace becomes a non-essential. I wish we could take a social media timeout for about a month. I, I wish Daddy would show up and, and spank us and put us in timeout from social media, the whole world, for about a month. Some of the things I see people post on social media who are Christians embarrass me. And that doesn't even matter. It does, what does it even matter? I think it embarrasses Jesus. That's what matters. It just fire things off about people and say things about people. You could never put those words in Jesus' mouth and hear them coming out. It's the illusion. we're not careful, we'll get sucked into fighting the wrong battle. The Bible tells us where the real battle is. Our battle is not against flesh, come on, and blood, but against principalities and powers. And they're so tricky and they're so deceitful, they keep sucking us in to fighting each other. How can you fight someone Jesus died for? You got the wrong enemy. (laughs) You got the wrong enemy. Jesus told another parable. Isn't Jesus? He's a master storyteller, isn't he? He told another parable about a a king, a man who owed a king 10,000 bags of gold. That just just sounds like a lot. I've never seen 10,000 bags of trash, (laughs) let alone 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. Okay, so in modern currency, that's about seven billion dollars do we have any billionaires here I didn't think so no billionaires so we don't have anyone here that could if you had if you were in that's not national deficit level you know but for an individual we don't have anybody here who could pay a seven billion dollar debt I dare say collectively with all of us in the room and everybody watching online right now if we put everything we ever had together all of us combined couldn't pay a seven billion dollar debt you're talking about catastrophic this guy owed seven billion dollars and so the king came and got him and had him arrested and said I'm gonna I'm gonna take you and your wife and your kids and I'm gonna sell you to slavery and I'm gonna sell everything you have to try to offset some of this debt it's not gonna touch it because this guy was a day laborer It's not going to touch it, but I'm going to do it because you owe it to me. And the man pleaded and he begged and he said, please be patient with me. Please 
please have kindness on me. And the king's heart shifted, and he forgave the man. He can't, the Bible says he canceled his debt. He canceled it. And then the forgiven man walks away and finds a man who owes, owes him 100 coins of silver. Modern equivalent of about $8,000. Now, I'm not saying $8,000. $8,000 is a lot of money. But most of us, if not all of us, could pay off $8,000 if we had enough time. We could save and put money aside and cut things and we could figure it out. That's not catastrophic, right? And so he says to the forgiven man, would you forgive me? And the forgiven man, the Bible says, grabs him by the throat and starts to choke him. It says, give me what you owe me. And the guy guy says, please be patient with me. And he says, no. And he throws him in jail. And the king hears about it. Watch this. The king hears about it. And here's what the king says in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in the king. You wicked servant. That's the forgiven man. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Now, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is the king represents God the Father. The forgiven man is me and you. The guy who owns a hundred coins of silver is everyone in your life who's ever offended you. Now watch. There's only one reason you and I would ever treat a person less valuable than we are. It's because we've forgotten how much grace God has given to us. We have forgotten that we've been forgiven of seven, say it, billion, seven billion dollars worth of debt, seven billion dollars worth of offense, seven billion dollars worth of sin. I promise you no one has ever offended you as much as you've offended God. No one's ever sinned against you as much as you've sinned against God. No one's ever hurt your heart as much as you've hurt God's heart. And no one will ever forgive you the way God will forgive you. And no one will ever give you grace the way God has given you grace. And and so what's the point of the whole story? Grace is what makes Christianity different. And grace is what makes Christians different. And if we lose grace, we've lost the whole thing. We've lost it all. There is no difference between us and any other religion on earth. If we lose grace, it is essential The only reason that you would live in an offense, the only reason that you would treat other people without grace is because you forgot. You forgot that you owed $7 billion, a catastrophic amount, and God wiped it away. You forgot. So you and I, if grace is going to be essential, we've got to remember, whatever's happened to me is nothing compared to what I did to God. Nothing. His grace has forgiven me. How can I not then act graciously toward those people whom he loves? Because he forgave me of so much, so much. You know, people are, as I talk to people, 
People are tired. Man, this is hard. This is hard. People are stressed. It's like, it's like you either you have two job markets. Either your job is on the edge of bankruptcy or, or you're exploded and you can't keep up with the work. Like that feels like the two options most people. School. You got kids in school. The pressure, the chaos, the snow globe has been shaken and flakes are just floating everywhere. And man, people need grace. And people need, right now, the world needs Christians to be grace givers. So can we just, can we just cool it a little bit? Can you just not hold everything everybody says against them and say, you know what? They've never said anything like that in all the years that I've known them. I wonder if they're, I think that we're going through it and we don't actually know how much it is that we're going through. That's what I think is happening. It's a lot of pressure, man. People need grace. We have such an opportunity to be a light. We have such an opportunity to be different. What an opportunity while all the stuff is floating through the air for shimmers of light to shine through the sky and to say, grace. God gives you grace. He's not mad at you. He doesn't want to hurt you. God doesn't put more burdens on people. He sent Jesus to lift the burdens off. It's a whole different thing. So, would you stand with me? And let's go to prayer this morning. And I just want to ask you something with your eyes closed. If you're online, go ahead and just, wherever you are in your living room, your kitchen, in Tennessee, in Wyoming, wherever you are, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And just let the grace of God come in. Let the grace of God soften your heart. Do you have a need that you haven't brought to Him yet? Where do you need grace today? Do you need grace in your body? Are you weak? Are you stressed? Do you need grace in your mind? Are you having trouble sleeping? Do you not know what tomorrow's going to hold and you're just stressed about it and you need the grace of God? Are you feeling strained in relationships and you just need the grace of God today to cover? Are you one of the ones that have been treating other people without grace? And you can't give what you don't have? So why don't you receive some grace today for you and let it overflow out of your life into those around you. Maybe you're one of those who you've just sinned. You've just sinned. You just blew it. You didn't mean to. You didn't want to. But you did. Can I tell you, today is a day of grace. Receive grace. Maybe you need a miracle. God is a gracious God. He's a God of miracles. Maybe you need peace. Maybe you need a breakthrough. Maybe you need provision. You don't know where the next job's coming. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's a God of grace. Man, I, I just believe there's somebody in the room or online watching or listening today, 
and what you need grace for is forgiveness, it's time for you to start a relationship with Jesus. It's time for you to start fresh, to start new, to start a real relationship with Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. If you're online, I want you just to put in the, in the comment section, I receive Jesus. That's all we need to put. And our prayer team's going to meet you there, and we're going to pray with you. And if you have a prayer need, I want you just to drop it in the comment section. I need healing. I need grace. I need a job. And our prayer team's going to meet you there. If you're in the room with every eye closed and you say, today I want to start a new relationship with Jesus. I want to start a real relationship. I need grace today. Would you just lift your hand as we pray in a minute? I just want to pray for you. I need that today. I see your hand. Thank you. Yeah, just lift it up. I need to I need to start a real relationship. And I need to know that I'm forgiven. Thank you. Put it right back down. Somebody else. And God's moving. God's moving. God's grace is moving. He He accepts you. Come on, let's pray together. And whatever it is that you need, I want you to enter into the throne room. Let's go into the throne of grace. Lord, today, I pray your grace would move across this room. God, I pray your spirit would move through the internet, Lord, to homes and to families, people riding in cars listening now. God, I pray your grace would flow like a river. God, the the peace of God, the strength of God, the power of God, you've given us access, the throne room of grace. Lord, we need it today, and I pray, come on and reach out as we're praying. God, I reach out to you, and I I ask you for grace for my need. I ask you for grace for this area of my life. Come on and just intercede. God, give me grace today. Give me grace for this area. Give me grace for, for my body. Give me grace for this marriage, for this relationship, for my children, for school. God, it's okay. Don't leave school uncovered. God, give me grace for my job. Grace for my body. Give me grace at night when I need to sleep. God, give me grace in my relationship with you. I want to know you better in this season. Lord, we thank you today for the grace of God. Come on, would you just thank him today for the grace of God? It is absolutely essential. Come on and thank God today for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Come on and thank him for his grace. Now we're going to sing this song together more like Jesus. And as we do, man, just let your prayer rise to heaven and let the grace of God fall on you like rain.